By show of hands, I'm interested to know if given the choice between listening to a sad song and a happy song, what you would choose. So how many in the room would prefer to listen to a sad song? I'm going to listen to music. Yeah, you, how many people like the blues or maybe a, a good murder ballad? <laughs> a torch song? Oh, by I did that this morning, and they said, they said to me at lunch, yeah, you were singing that all by yourself. <laughs> so we got some, some sad music people. How about people who would want to listen to happy music, whether it's a party song or a bubblegum pop, something that makes you get up and move your feet a little bit? One of my favorite musicians is Maceo Parker. He's a sax player, um, played with James Brown and George Clinton. He's a funk guy. And he says, happy music is when you hear it, you start moving or shaking something automatically. <laughs> so, I guess I kind of like both. But some people are drawn more to sad music. Some people are drawn more to happy music. And since our art sort of dovetails with our life, we won't get into the debate about which imitates the other, but since art and life are kind of intertwined and life sometimes sucks and is sometimes really great, it makes sense that our music would sort of reflect that, doesn't it? Give you another kind of example of these different tensions in music. Anybody a jazz fan in here? I love jazz. The best-selling jazz album of all time is called Kind of Blues, Miles Davis, with probably the greatest small jazz band ever assembled like just a complete murderer's row of people who would go on to be total superstars of jazz. And as a saxophone player, I'm kind of drawn to the horn players in the band, um, the saxophone players in particular, uh, and there are two. John Coltrane, whose name you probably have heard, if, even if you don't like jazz. If you don't like jazz, John Coltrane's the one that you hate. <laughs> um, and the other guy's name is Cannonball Adderley. His name was Julian, but... He decided to go with Cannonball, which I think was a wise decision. Um, and these two sax players in the band have totally different approaches to the music. Coltrane, if you know anything about Coltrane, is just full of angst and distress. And he plays this music and it just kind of knocks you over with his tone and he plays these long notes and these ripping arpeggios. And it's just so... Ah, and he gets done his chorus of solos, and then Cannonball Adderley steps up to the mic and just plays this, just, he's like the young buck running through the field, just rips these blues scale solos, and they're and a little inside baseball music, but he's just all over the place, and it's exuberant and joyful. And I like them both. Sometimes I'm in a Coltrane mood. Sometimes I'm in a Cannonball mood. But the best is when they're on the same record together. But, you know, it's not just our pop music that, that echoes life a little bit and has some sad songs and some happy songs. The songs of faith are like that as well. And the songbook of our faith uh, we inherited from the Jewish people. It's the book of Psalms. And in the book of Psalms, you have all kinds of examples of psalms of lament, psalms of despair, 
where the people are saying, God, my enemies are crushing me. There is no one who will defend me. Where are you? They're kind of living in our WTF message from last week in those Psalms. What is going on? Where are you, God? And at Artisan, I'm proud to say that we actually use those Psalms and acknowledge their existence. <laughs> I went to college to study ministry, and that was the first I heard that there, wasn't, there were some Psalms that weren't all happy. <laughs> um, and I think that sometimes the church is like that. We gloss over those difficult things and ask people to put on a patina of happiness and pretend that there's nothing wrong in their life. But the Bible witnesses to a very different story. So I'm glad that's there in the Bible, and I'm glad to say that we use that here. And just last week, Jason gave a great sermon where he gave us space to ask God, what the F? Once you've acknowledged that and lived in it and recognized it a little bit, I think you have two choices. Understanding that it may never be perfect in this life, but you have two choices. You can either continue to focus only on those negative times, those WTF moments and experiences, or you can do your best to enjoy life as it comes to you in the ways that you can. I'm not suggesting when we LOL, laugh out loud, that we do that to distract ourselves from WTF. I'm not suggesting that we do this as an escapist measure where we ignore the hard times and the difficulties and the very real spiritual struggles that we face. I'm suggesting that when we talk about laugh out loud and enjoying life, we do that in spite of the WTF moments. And we do that alongside the WTF moments. So that life is a little bit like that Miles Davis band. We have some Coltrane, we have some Cannonball, and it comes out to be real. Because I think, honestly, if you don't spend some time and energy and focus trying to enjoy life and have some laugh-out-loud moments, that you're going to be sad and underprepared when the WTF moment comes back around, and it's going to, you're going to run the risk of it pulling you under, sucking you in, and controlling your life. So let's talk about LOL. LOL. I want to say at the outset that I think I am way too cool to actually use the phrase LOL, <laughs> except ironically. So if you ever see me on Instant Messenger say LOL, I'm probably being ironic, uh, because I like to think that I'm uh, very well-spoken and, and capable of expressing my joy and gladness in, in other ways. But in spite of the fact that I don't really care for lol very much, <laughs> I am a person who loves to laugh, and if you know me, you know that I love to laugh, often inappropriately, uh, sometimes uh, 
in ways that other people aren't happy about. But I love to laugh, and I was thinking as I was preparing this message, what are some ways that I laugh? When's the last time that you laughed out loud? Can you think for a minute and remember that? In fact, a little audible here, why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell that person the last time you laughed, literally laughed out loud, okay? Take two minutes and do that, one minute each. Okay, finish up your stories there. So what are, some, what are some reasons that we laugh? Anybody have a sarcastic LOL in your story? Sometimes you laugh sarcastically. I do. <laughs> How about... Um, the type of laughter where you just, you, 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 the tears are coming down your face. And you fall off your chair, right? <laughs> R-O-F-L, right? Raffle? Raffle Mao. <laughs> Have you ever gone to YouTube? You should, don't, your pastor did not tell you to do this. Have you ever gone to YouTube and watched the videos of the Laugh Revival churches? Where it's, it, gets, it gets a little, little crazy and the people are sort of caught up in the spirit and they, they're shaken and they, they start laughing and literally rolling on the floor laughing. Um, that's not quite what we're going for tonight, <laughs> um, but that is one other type of laughter. How about a laugh track? Who likes laugh tracks? I love to be told when to laugh. I'm not smart enough to laugh at the jokes on the TV. I hate laugh tracks, but this is, we're not going for piped-in, phony, cued-up laughter. When we're talking about LOL, we want genuine, hearty, fully alive, joyful, glad-hearted laughter. You know, and I was looking through the Bible. I went to my exhaustive concordance, one of the big books that you get in seminary. I almost said cemetery. That's a funny joke, huh? Um, and I looked up laugh and laughter and laughing. There's a handful of references in the Bible to laughter. Do you know what they're almost all about? What type of laughter almost all of them are? Bitter laughter. Scornful, scoffing laughter. You can give me one example. You know the story of Abraham and Sarah? They were supposed to be, Abraham was supposed to be the father of a great nation, the Jewish people. He eventually was, um, is. Uh, but they were both very old, and, and Sarah was getting very old, uh, you know, and she already had the hot flashes and things, and she's like, God... Uh, are you sure? And God says, I will give you a child. And you know what she does? She laughs in God's face. And it's not this kind of, oh, God, you're so funny, laughter. No, it's, you read it, it's, ha, yeah, right. Sure. Okay, God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have a baby. That's not really the type of laughter we want to go for either. So here's a little, little lesson. 
when you're interpreting the Bible, you don't have to do everything that every person does in the Bible, because sometimes the things that people do in the Bible are stupid and uncalled for. <laughs> um, so don't interpret Scripture that way. Anyway, little aside. Um, so there's not a whole lot of uh, laughter in the Bible, which doesn't mean that they don't have any fun, because I'll tell you what there is a lot of, and that is hundreds and hundreds of these actually, references to gladness, to joy. In the Psalms alone, there are 41 versions of the word glad, so glad, gladness, gladly, so forth. And there are 49 variations of joy. And that's just joy and joyful and joyfully. I'm not going to enjoy or any of those words. So tons and tons of examples in the Bible of people enjoying life and being glad to be alive. And that's what we're going for tonight. That's the type of LOL that I want to encourage you to try to experience. Because that type of laughing out loud is a part of the life of faith. It's throughout the Bible. Well, so what? How do we, how do, we do that, right? What, what are some ways that we can enjoy our life as people of faith? I'm going to give you a few examples tonight, and obviously there's tons of ways, but these are a few big ones that I think will get you on the right track. The first thing I'd like to suggest is that you enjoy God's creation. You get out there and enjoy the beauty of the trees and the stars and the lakes and the canyons and the hills and the meadows. You embrace the science that's happening all around you. You enjoy the tastes and the smells of the world. Immerse yourself in that collection of resonance and frequency that we call music. Enjoy your food. Enjoy animals. This is pretty simple stuff. But step one is close the lid on your laptop <laughs> and get outside your house. Now, I yield to no one in my desire to be on my laptop all day long and deep into the night. I am the prince of laptop town, okay? I even have a phone that allows me, it's, it's smaller than my laptop, so I can put it on my nightstand so that when the morning comes and I wake up and I can immediately check my email. Oh, look, Tyler texted me. He said, lol. Your sermon is to funny. <laughs> Thanks, Tyler, wherever you are. Hi. <laughs> um, <laughs> where was I? <laughs> yes, we were closing our laptop and ignoring our phones and getting outside and enjoying creation. A lot of those psalms of gladness and joy that I mentioned a minute ago are creation psalms. Let me read you just two verses from Psalm 104 which I think is one of the best ones. Um, you know how bloggers will link to an article and, and give you just a little paragraph, and they say, but you really should read the whole thing? This is my read the whole thing command. I'm going to give you two verses, but write down Psalm 104 and read it when you get home or sometime this week. It's great. Verses 14 and 15, they're on the screen. It says, You cause the grass to grow for the cattle and plants for people to use 
to bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the human heart, oil to make the face shine, and bread to strengthen the human heart. I love that. That God made this world for our enjoyment and for the enjoyment of all his creation. This goes on to talk about goats on the hills and fish in the sea, and uh, it's really a very beautiful psalm. And all this stuff that God made, including the wine apparently, should gladden our hearts. So that's the first one. Enjoy life by enjoying God's creation. The second one I want to suggest is that you enjoy people. Now, you don't have to raise your hand because we don't want your friends, you don't want your friends to know this, but how many people don't really like people? <laughs> I, I see some hands coming up there. <laughs> I'm an introvert myself. I, I, I'm not a super strong introvert. I, I, get, I get along okay with lots of different people. Um, and I don't mind speaking in front of people, but at the end of a long day, particularly on Sundays, I just want to go home and be left alone for a couple hours. How many people are like that? When you're, when you're around a bunch of people, it kind of like, uh, I need a break. Well, this thing is driving me nuts, so I'm going to switch to a different microphone. So, ah, yes, that's better. So even if you're an introverted person, I would suggest to you that the joy that comes from being in relationship with other people is profound. Some college students in the room, I still feel like a college student even though I graduated in 1999. I guess I'm coming up on 10 years now. I'm sort of old. Uh, but I look back very fondly on my college years, and what are the things that, that's the most fun about your college years? Staying up late at night, 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, just talking to people and literally sometimes laughing out loud with them. Enjoying life by enjoying the people around you. And at the risk of sounding like the old fogey, let's try another one. Hey, there we go. This is going to get podcasted, dudes. Michael, fix it in post. Oh, look, now it sounds when I kick it. <laughs> what was I saying? Yes, I'm an old dude. I've, I miss my college years. If you're in college and you're thinking, should I stay up for another hour talking to my friends or should I go back to my room and sleep so I can get up for class the next morning? Let me tell you, you will remember the hour you spent, much more likely anyway, than you will remember the st stupid test you took the next morning. So stay in school, kids. Do a great job. But realize that a lot of it's about relationships, and that's what's really most memorable and most significant when you're in college sometimes. So I'm out of college now, and, and I continue to have 
great joy in my life from people who I know, particularly my wife and now my son, who's uh, four years old. And so this relationship, this love relationship that we have is really profound. And I see God in that. You don't have to be married to enjoy people. You don't have to be in college uh, to enjoy people. But I would encourage you, those of you who are introverts, make an effort to get out and sort of get to know some people. And those of you who are extroverts, kind of like polishing your knuckles, saying, I talk to everybody. I know people. Let me encourage you to slow down a little bit, all right? And instead of going from person to person to person to person to person to person and never really having any depth in your relationships, slow down and get to know some people because you will enjoy life more by having deep, meaningful relationships with other human beings. There's a really good example of this, I think, in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is just the story of what happened in the early church after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, we believe he ascended and sort of left his earthly ministry. Um, and then the church began to take root. And as the church took root, the Holy Spirit sort of descended on them and, and really shook things up a little bit. And, and the magic started to happen with people being in community with each other. Let me read you a couple verses from chapter 2, 46 and 47. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple. Now, let me pause there for just a minute. Um, my friend Jason says lots of things. You know Jason, Pastor Jason. He says lots of things, and, and some of them make sense. Um, not all, but some of them. One of the things that he has said to a lot of people over the years that I think is very true is that quality time, little QT, is a myth. There's no such thing. The only thing that matters in relationships is quantity time. If you can't spend lots of time with people, you are not going to get to know them. So what did the early church do? Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they also broke bread at home and ate their food with what? Glad and generous hearts praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. They were enjoying each other's company, worshiping together, eating together, drinking together with glad and generous hearts. And what was the result of that? What was the fruit of those relationships? Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Have you ever thought for a minute that the relationships that you have with other people in your church community can have a direct impact on the eternal souls of people around you? That's a pretty powerful thing. So find joy in God's creation. Find joy in the people around you. And finally, find joy in God Himself. This one can be a little bit trickier because our relationship with the divine is very complicated. And sometimes we wish that we could always have one of those little red cards that we had last week that say, Lord, WTF. 
And we want to be hanging those on the cross. That was an important exercise. But I think that as people of Christian faith, it's important for us to begin to learn how to enjoy God as well. Any Calvinists in the room? What's the, in the Westminster Convence, con, Confession? What's, what's the chief, chief purpose of mankind? Uh, to serve God and enjoy him forever. So, yes, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Right. Those Calvinists get something right on occasion. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> so if you're having trouble with the enjoying God thing, let me suggest to you that you start with the other two, okay? If you can't quite get to the place where you enjoy God, start by enjoying creation and start by enjoying other people. And I believe that when you begin to have joy in your life, for those other reasons, you start to see and learn that that really those things do come from God. And that by enjoying them, you are enjoying God. So do not be ashamed of, of enjoying those, what may be purely secular enjoyments, okay? You don't have to be a dowdy kind of Christian who lies and says that I only have fun at church, right? I only have fun when I'm doing my devotions, I want you to have fun in other things as well. But let me tell you a little bit about the creation story and how I think that speaks something pretty significant and profound to the idea of enjoying God. Now, sometimes you start talking about the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and, and people immediately say, well, is that literal or is it a mythological, allegorical story that's still a true story? Uh, and do we want to get in an argument about whether the earth is 6,000 years old or way, way longer, older than that? I don't want to have that argument now, but I realize that some of you, as soon as I start talking about Adam and Eve, are going to have that argument in your head, so stop. <laughs> okay, this, like so many things to do with interpreting this passage, that doesn't matter. It is not germane. When God made the world and made Adam and Eve and put them in this Garden of Eden, this beautiful pastoral place. And they walked with him in the cool of the evening and enjoyed the plants for their food. How many rules were there in the Garden of Eden? One. One rule, happy times. Right? God said, you can do whatever you want, but don't eat the fruit from that one tree over there. Okay? And they were in communion with him and happy. Unfortunately, there was a little trouble. There was a little snafu with following that rule. And the whole Garden of Eden thing had to go away for a while. And they were cast out. And as they were cast out, they began to try to struggle to commune with God the way they used to. And how did the, how did the people of faith begin to commune with God? They began to follow more than one rule. And pretty soon we had ten rules etched on a stone tablet. And pretty soon ten wasn't specific enough. It wasn't clear enough. And so we had to add, oh, I don't know, 600 more. And pretty soon at the height of the Mosaic Law, 
There are 613 commandments that all good Jews must follow. And it's that context into which Jesus is born. And Jesus starts teaching. And what does he say? He says a few things about the law. But what does he do for us? He gets us back down to two. Love God with everything you've got. That's one. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's two. And while I'm not abolishing any of those other ones, these are the two that you need to focus on because if you get those right, everything else will fall into place. So one rule. Happy time. <laughs> 613 rules. Not so good. Jesus comes and brings us back to two. And makes it possible and more possible for us to enjoy God and be in relationship with God. You see, our happiness in God does not depend on following rules. Let me repeat that because I know that there are lots of people in the room, myself definitely included, who feel like we can't be happy in our faith if we're not following the rules whether it's the 10, the 600, or the 3,000 other little things that we've managed to tack on over the years in spite of the fact that Jesus came and told us not to do that kind of thing. Our happiness in God does not depend on following the rules. Our happiness in God depends on following Jesus. He said something else, Jesus did. Uh, and you can read about this in the Gospel of John. Sort of toward the end of his ministry, he said in chapter 15, verses 8 through 11, he's talking to his disciples, and I think this is very interesting. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Live in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. I've said these things to you, and here I think he's talking about all these things that he said, so that your joy, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Apart from Jesus, our joy is incomplete. Following Jesus, His joy is in us. And our joy moves closer and closer to completion. And in the last days, the book of Revelation says that He will wipe every tear from our eyes. I think that's my, my favorite verse in Revelation. I can't remember the reference. But there's so much, you know, so many beasts and flaming things in Revelation. And it's, it's difficult to interpret. And we get caught up in that. And we miss those gems like, Jesus will wipe every tear from, the, from our eyes. I love that. He will take those WTF moments once and for all and cast them aside. And we will enjoy Him forever. In a minute, we're going to take communion together. 
What a beautiful act where we can enjoy all three of those things I just told you about. We're enjoying simple food, bread and wine. Comes straight out of God's creation. We're enjoying each other because we are communing together around the Lord's table. And we're enjoying Him by remembering Christ's sacrifice. His body broken, His shed blood, and the joy that comes in being in harmony with God by the power of that sacrifice. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you would say to to yourself, I'm not a Christian, it's okay not to take part in that. If you are a Christian, come to the table. I don't care if you're having trouble, if you're struggling, if you feel like you're a horrible human being, because you are, and that's the point. Come to the table and enjoy God and enjoy each other. If you're not, it's okay to sit where you are and think or meditate, pray if you're so inclined. And I'm going to be waiting here for a a few minutes anyway, and uh, I would love to pray with you if you feel like you need prayer. I'm going to have to come back up and play some music after a few minutes, so I'd like to ask Jason and Brian to be available to you as well. Um, But we would love to pray with you. If there's trouble in your life, if you're not sure where you are in faith, if you are feeling like you want to take that first step of faith and follow Jesus, stop following the rules and follow Jesus, I'd invite you to come and talk to one of us. We would love to pray with you and and talk to you about what's going on in your life. Let me pray for all of you right now, and then we'll take communion together. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for all the joy this life brings, for the joy of your creation, for the joy of being in relationship with other people you've made, and especially for the joy that comes in following Jesus and in knowing God. My prayer is that those who come to participate in the Lord's Supper would do it as an act of remembrance, would do it to quench their spiritual thirst and satisfy their spiritual hunger and be nourished spiritually. And for those who are not yet believers and followers of you, Jesus, my prayer is that you would speak to them, that they would hear your voice and your call and step out in faith to be in harmony with God and to enjoy Him by following you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. This table will be open until we leave tonight. You don't need to rush, but come if you're ready and There'll be pastors here in the front to pray with you if you'd like to pray.